with no heat loss or gain. This is the news and talk of East Tennessee. WOKIFM, Oliver Springs, Knoxville. News Talk 98.7. Accumulus Station. From ABC News. I'm Scott Goldberg. 50 said yes, 49 said no. The Senate voted along party lines to pass a Democratic budget that includes a trillion dollars in new tax revenues. They stayed up all night to get it done. And now? Now comes the problem of trying to meld two vastly different budget plans. The Republican measure passed in the House and the Democrats' budget passed in the Senate. Budget Committee Chair Senator Patty Murray. It is not going to be easy, but I am hopeful that it can be done. On party-line votes, Democrats turned back Republican efforts to repeal the health reform law and to require a balanced budget. Vic Ratner, ABC News at the Capitol. President Obama is on his way back to Washington, his four-day trip through the Middle East, ending with a stop in Petra, Jordan, where they shot the finale, the finale of the Indiana Jones and Last Crusade movie. Petra's civilization flourished along a desert caravan route in biblical times, but then trade routes through Arabia shifted, earthquakes damaged Petra's sophisticated aqueducts, and the empty city sat undiscovered for hundreds of years. ABC's Ann Compton traveling with the president. Staying behind Secretary of State John Kerry, he has meetings with Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas and later Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, urging the two sides to continue peace talks. Back here, authorities at the Birmingham Airport in Alabama are trying to figure out why a new wall of monitors displaying flight information fell yesterday, killing a 10-year-old boy and critically injuring his mom. It would be very hard to believe that something like this would actually happen in an airport. You would think that it would be more safe. Tony Herrera Bast is a traveler. And right outside Rome right now, tourists and locals are gathering at the Castle Gandolfo. That's the papal retreat. And that's where Pope Francis is having lunch with his predecessor, Benedict, the Pope Emeritus. Two popes haven't been alive at the same time for 600 years. You're listening to ABC News. Never play leapfrog with a unicorn. Never run with scissors unless you're a tardy barber. Never wear a fanny pack. No, really, don't ever wear a fanny pack. And never trust a car that hasn't been trusted to Midas. Save on brakes, maintenance, and total car care for a car you can depend on long after the warranty expires. You deserve the Midas touch. Get a comprehensive oil change, tire rotation, and visual brake check for $26.99. Up to five quarts conventional oil. Shop fees extra. Most vehicles at participating Midas. Mom, I had the best dream. <laughs> well, good morning to you, too. Okay, so I was a knight. I had a sword, and our house was a castle. There was this angry dragon. It was kind of scary. Oh, yeah? But I protected the castle. Oh, that's my brave little man. I'm glad our castle is safe. Your home is your castle, and sometimes you need help defending it. The National Association of Realtors supports maintaining homeowner tax incentives because they make home ownership more affordable for more families. Learn more at houselogic.com. For today, look for mostly cloudy skies across East Tennessee with a few more rain showers, especially in the morning. Highs around 54. For tonight, more rain showers developing, especially late, low of 43. Then for Sunday, rainy, cloudy with some pop-up thunderstorms. Highs around 57 degrees. Expect some snow showers Sunday night into Monday. From the VLT Local Aid Weather Center, I'm Chief Meteorologist David Aldrich. America's correspondent, the man, the mustache, Geraldo. Tune in after Hal, 10 to noon, on News Talk 98.7. W-O-K-I. The following program is paid programming and does not reflect the views or opinions of News Talk 98.7. W-O-K-I. Welcome to the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. My name is Kevin Ray, and I am your grateful host. And I'm here with Mark Griffith, our co-host and executive producer. Thank you guys for coming in this Saturday and joining us for another episode of the Housing Hour. And uh, just so everyone knows, as we always tell you, you can follow along live on thehousinghour.com. We have a very interactive website with a treasure trove of information for you to go and peruse. And you can do that while listening to the show. Um, then you can also follow us on Facebook. We are uh, plugged in on all of the social network platforms. You can go to facebook.com slash housing hour and like our page. And 
if you are feeling it, you can go to Twitter as well. At The Housing Hour is our Twitter handle. So we're continuing on in our Protect Your Family series that you can also listen to the other um, parts of that series right there on The Housing Hour. But the Protect Your Family series has been a really, really great series. And we've been able to uh, really establish ourselves as the experts or the people to go to to gather information. And today we have an expert. And, you know, if you recall back on a few shows ago, we did speak with the Knox County Preparedness Kind of Emergency Management Center and we had a great show, and you can I would recommend that you go back and listen to that show. It was a fascinating show, and it really gave you an insight of how it is that we handle and prepare for these emergencies. And today, we actually have an expert on the line with us, and his name is Sam Mullen. Now, Sam, he has over 30 years of experience in utility operations, planning, management. He's also the author of three books, Contingency on Emergency Planning and Technical Communications, including Emergency Planning Guide for Utilities. This is the second edition. Um, and Critical Communications, an Operation Guide for Business. After a long career, Sam, in the power of systems, uh, operations, and system control, uh, Sam founded MPS in 1994, a practice working primarily with utilities. Sam consults on a full range of projects, including power system emergencies. And also, we've got the book link up. If you'd like to purchase it, you can go right there to the Housing Hour. And at the bottom of our little post there, you've got the um, Amazon book link that you can certainly uh, go and, and check out. Sam, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity to talk. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the, the whole idea, I think, for this show is that, you know, with the public and health safety at issue, you know, you we spoke off air about super, the superstorm that you recently um, were encountered there in southern New Jersey where you reside. And just with the natural disaster seeming to become more frequent, frequent, I think having somebody like yourself come on and discuss these issues, how it relates to our personal well-being and protect in line with the Protect Your Family and how these emergency planning guides can help utility companies. So let's start out by, you know, why did you feel like this second edition was important, the emergency planning guide for utilities? Well, one of the things I'd like to maybe start out by saying is that, uh, you know, what what are uh, emergency, contingency, and disaster resilience plans and so forth? Uh, they're really strategies and methods to recover and restore the services uh, we provide, uh, whoever we are, whether mm-hmm. you're, you're utilities or uh, you run a car agency or you, uh, uh, you're an electrician, run an electrical shop, what have you. Um, you know, you, you really need to determine what will happen if certain types of storms, fires, other emergencies happen in your neck of the woods and uh, they potentially threaten what you do. Absolutely. So utilities have broad exposure. Um, they're basically, most of their equipment is out in the open except for in generating plants where the generators are, but uh, uh, largely outside they're exposed to the elements, and uh, that means that uh, uh, they face a, a world of, of hazards out there. Thanks. So uh, what I did was in 1994 um, I wrote a book on uh, emergency planning guide for utilities. That was the first edition. Uh, the second edition is what we uh, just published in uh, January of uh, uh, 2013, uh, which is basically um, uh, includes many of the proven concepts of, of emergency planning standards, uh, best practices, um, if you will, and uh, and adds to that and um, and brings in some new thinking and some new strategies as well as some of the new newer standards that are, uh, folks are operating with out there. Uh, the only way that uh, utility planners can get this information uh, is really through osmosis in their own uh, organizations, or uh, they can use reference materials and, and so forth that have been specifically designed to uh, answer the, the, the questions they have. You know, how do I start writing an emergency plan? What do I need to write an emergency plan? Uh, groups involved uh, or, uh, you know, specific types of technology involved. What do I need to actually get this plan in place and get it out into my utility so that people can use it? Well, it's a, it's a, broad, uh, it's a broad topic, and uh, I'll try to, uh, you know, narrow that down to some degree. Uh, but uh, essentially, utilities are uh, learning like the rest of us. Uh, they're... 
they're in need of um, information that they can put into play uh, as quickly as they can because risk uh, associates uh, a tremendous cost with operation of the utility. And uh, if we can reduce outage time following a major storm, for example, uh, just one day uh, uh, out of, say, uh, uh, say a 10-day restoration that takes nine instead of ten, uh, potentially, that's hundreds of thousands to millions of, of dollars that utilities can save. So it's in their best interest to um, to start, a, uh, if they haven't started a plan, which in, in most cases, uh, that would be incorrect today because most utilities have uh, some types of plans in place uh, in their critical areas of operation. And a, and a side benefit to that is that they get the, the public gets their service back quicker. Uh, it is. Uh, that is a, a, a very important part of that, and uh, utilities realize that. And obviously, the meters don't spin uh, unless uh, power is on. Sure. And uh, there, but really, I think that uh, for the most part, utilities understand the, the frustration that uh, uh, that customers uh, and uh, members, in, in the case of cooperatives, um, have when when their power is out for days and. Um, you know, as I'll be reiterating later, I mean, uh, utilities are composed of people that live in communities, um, you know, the same as you. Uh, they don't come from out of state. They they don't come from some government agency somewhere. There are people like you and me, and they, they work in utilities, and they're interested in the same things that, that we all are, and that is to get the power back uh, as quickly as possible. So, um, you know, to sum up your first question, uh, I felt that it was time. Uh, it's been, um, you know, more than 10 years since the original uh, first edition copy came out of the Emergency Planning Guide for Utilities. So it was certainly time to revisit it and um, had a publisher, uh, CRC Publishing, which uh, uh, Taylor and Francis Group, they, they were interested in having me rewrite this book, and they uh, approached me enough about it so that I... <laughs> I, uh, I started putting together a, uh, a second edition of the book, and, and uh, we walked through it. It takes about a year to write a book for those that uh, would like to do it someday. It takes a while to really get the information together and present it, and then you go through several edits and reiterations before it's published. So, uh, But anyway, that book is out, and um, I'm pretty proud of it. it. I think it's got some uh, good information in it uh, uh, for the novice as well as the more advanced planner. Uh, so, um, you know, there's a lot of checklists. There are a lot of things in there that can be used uh, to help any utility uh, prepare, large or small. And um, I might add that um, after doing this work for so many years, uh, it's it's uh, fairly simple for me to actually go into any organization and see where they're short on, on their planning. So uh, the fact that I dwell in utilities uh, more often than not is because uh, that is the ground that I grew up in. Um, so I've been involved with utilities for many, many years. And uh, uh, from 1986 on, as a uh, specifically involved with emergency planning for utilities. So, Hey, Sam, uh, this is Mark Griffith. Uh, you know, in the first part of your book, in the, in the second edition, um, you, you mentioned that the book is intended for the for those, and I quote, who are willing to make emergency preparedness part of their culture. Is that what you're finding now? Is uh, You've kind of went over that. It kind of sounds like your book is intended to get that culture part of the emergency preparedness in utilities. Uh, how do you feel that's going? Is that Did you cover all of that? Well, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there, there are references to that throughout the book, and, and I've, uh, I, I will cover it here. Basically, the goal of any organization, including utilities, uh, you know, is to keep the mission of the organization in practice at all times. So uh, for electric utilities, it's normally to maintain delivery of power to the consumer in a safe and reliable manner, regardless of damaging event, uh, events that come along. Uh, so really... Um, the culture of the organization needs to be one that um, uh, basically lives and breathes emergency preparedness. Uh, there, there really isn't any excuse uh, today for any uh, utility or uh, really almost any large organization and in industry uh, to not be prepared for uh, major emergencies. And uh, it just makes good sense for the utility itself and, uh, and for the people it serves. Uh, let let me ask you this. Involved. 
Sam, um, Sam, as it relates to um, what you're talking about, because the culture, I think, is such a, a wide-ranging thing. Because up in where you're from, the culture is different than maybe where we're from as it relates to emergency preparedness. Because I think maybe of the, the nature of the climate in those two different uh, opposing uh, cities. So, like, when you look at the utility companies that you have consulted, and maybe this could be just a broad question and you could give us maybe percentages, but do you think that as a whole or even in smaller sections that utility companies have done what they need to do to safeguard the public? Well, it's, it's not what uh, uh, have done or will do as much as it is uh, constant practice. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be, uh, you know, utilities make up uh, plans um, uh, much like housing developers do. They, they say, well, what am I going to work on next year? What am I going to work on this year? Uh, what really needs work because it's, uh, it's not safe. It, it uh, uh, you know, gives us a problem every storm we have. Uh, so, uh, you know, they prioritize. They only have a certain amount of money to spend the same as anybody else does, and they need to prioritize what their uh, equipment uh, needs to be replaced, uh, refurbished, what have you. And um, whether or not a higher standard needs to be put in place for specific types of conditions, uh, such as along coastal areas and things like that. So um, these are uh, some of the questions that are continually going on. Um, You know, as I mentioned, in the culture piece is that um, uh, it's taken, uh, to be honest, it's taken a while for uh, utilities uh, to adopt uh, some types of standards. Uh, they generally work, um, uh, you know, towards the electrical restoration end of it. But they have, in, in the last 15 years or so, uh, realized that uh, emergency planning is composed of people uh, doing tasks mm-hmm. um, uh, the, to fulfill the strategies, uh, you know, for getting the power back on. Uh, so what they do is they, they realize it's more of a holistic uh, look that they need to take at this as opposed to just sending line trucks out and start putting up power uh, power lines. So um, that's what they've done, and they've, they've looked at it. Uh, what areas of the organization do, do we really need to improve uh, our emergency preparedness on? And, uh, and they've constructed plans um, and are in the process, uh, and many utilities of annual training programs and exercising programs to make sure that the employee knows what's in the plan and, and can uh, uh, can do what's necessary without asking a lot of questions uh, when uh, emergencies uh, hit. Well, we're going to, here in about a minute, we're going to go to break, and then when we get back from the break, we're going to continue on with this uh, these questions. And, and Sam, maybe one of the questions when we come back that you might be able to think about over the break is, you know, looking back at Katrina and how that emergency was handled from just a utility preparedness standpoint, and then, you know, fast-forwarding to this last year with Superstorm Sandy, maybe you could tell us, uh, you know, in general, what you think the big difference was as it relates to the preparedness from the utility standpoint. Because it seemed to me, although it wasn't perfect, it seemed to have a lot of additional um, positives in this most recent tragedy. But we are here with Sam Mullen. He is uh, here with us for the, these two segments. And uh, 30 years of experience in utility operations, He's he's really got a lot of information Uh, to provide us and help us with this series, the Protect Your Family. And this is such an interesting topic to me, and it's so important to our uh, environment and our area that we live in. So we'll continue on with Sam Mullen here in just one moment. You are listening to the Housing Hour right here on 98.7, the news and talk of East Tennessee. We'll be right back after these messages. Great. Where is this going to come from? There's no way. How am I going to pay my mortgage? First, I'd lose my job. And now, I'm about to lose my house. What happened to the American dream? There's got to be something I can do. There is. Keep My Tennessee Home has U.S. funds for struggling Tennessee homeowners. Visit Keep My Tennessee Home at keepmytnhome.org and see if you qualify today. Does a waterfront masterpiece home on Teleco Lake interest you? It's a breathtaking all-stone and brick home with five bedrooms, six baths, hardwood floors, approximately 9,000 square feet that includes a theater room, a large wraparound deck to enjoy a view of the Smoky Mountains in Teleco Lake, and a three-car garage. 
This home has been bank approved for a short sale. And Rarity Bay Real Estate will be showing it at an open house this Saturday from 1 to 4 p.m. at 255 Rock Point Drive at Rarity Bay in Bonor. Also for viewing will be bank-owned waterfront and view home sites. For more details, go to raritybaydreamhome.com or call 888-RARITY-BAY. Don't miss this opportunity to see this waterfront masterpiece that has over $2 million invested in it or other home sites this Saturday from 1 to 4 p.m. at 255 Rock Point Drive at Rarity Bay in Bonnor. Pick up your pass and map at the Gatehouse. Property shown by Rarity Bay Real Estate. Do you look at your backyard and see nothing but brown? I'm Brantley Rivers with Acme Block and Brick. And if you aren't one of our customers, you probably do. At Acme Block and Brick, we specialize in turning the winter's cold shades of brown into an outdoor living space full of color and warmth. Whether it's an outdoor kitchen equipped with a cozy stone fireplace or a new patio built with our Belgard pavers, Acme Block and Brick can help you find the perfect remedy for those winter browns. We also carry other products that can spruce up your home. Acme Block and Brick. From block for a new retaining wall, to stone for a new walkway. You won't believe the ideas our friendly, knowledgeable staff have for your outdoor facelift. So go to our website at acmeblockandbrick.com and take a look at our high-quality products or visit one of our three locations in Crossville, Kingston, and in Alcoa and see what a little stone can do for you. Don't wait. An outdoor living space is what your home is missing. Come see us today at Acme Block and Brick. I promise you won't be disappointed. Acme Block and Brick. I'm Sue Benson, owner of Title Associates. In today's real estate market, it is more important than ever to have a title company with experience, a company you can trust, and one that conducts business with you in mind. If you're buying, selling, or refinancing, our staff promises to make your closing a pleasant one. If you're a real estate agent looking for excellent customer service, give us a call, 777-1040, or visit our website at tanox.com. Home ownership matters, and Mortgage Investors Group wants to help you with all your home financing needs. Whether it's a purchase or refinance, our federally licensed loan officers are ready to help you sort through all the mortgage loan options. So call us today, 800-489-8910, or visit us online at mortgageinvestorsgroup.com. Mortgage Investors Group, your home loan solution for the past 23 years. Tennessee Mortgage License Number 109111. This is Haller in the end of spring break, my most dangerous idea yet. Plus, what do you think of the government searching your email? And is gay rights the new civil rights movement? You've got the weekend to strengthen your brain for some hot talk on Monday. See you at 530. The Haller and Hilton Hill Morning Show, News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host. Back here with uh, Mark Griffith, our co-host and executive producer. And before we continue on with Sam, I do need to tell you guys about a company that, that we are so, so excited about. And that is the Knox Homes Magazine. Knox Homes Magazine is Jim and Joey. They're back. They had the magazines in the past. And as a matter of fact, Jim has been around as long as 1976 when the apartment guide came out. The very first thing that he was on the cutting edge of. They continued, and they were the first ones in 86 to have the first full-color home magazine. And then he uh, came out and knocked everybody's socks off with Home Tour, which is still a viable magazine. Got out of business, and now he's back. He's back doing his thing. And the first edition came out last month. It was 28 pages. It was a beautiful print. It was the paper, the, the color just popped off of the magazine. It was it was really nice magazine. This month, they've increased that to 36 to 38, and that's a huge jump after the first month. So if you're a realtor out there, a lender, you know, if you're in the public, first you can go out and find their books at any of the food cities, the Kroger's, pretty much anywhere. But if you are a realtor or a lender and you want to go ahead and get in on the the ground level of this, you can reach Joey at 865-776-2428. Talk about getting into the magazine for, uh, for April. It's a great magazine. I would highly recommend them. And that's Knox Homes Magazine. So we're back in here with Sam, and we are so excited to have Sam Mullen uh, with us today. And we're continuing on with the Protect Your Family series. 
And our first segment was devoted to talking a little bit about why he wrote his next book, the one that he just wrote. And we also have the link on there on uh, for the Amazon purchase if you'd like to maybe purchase that and take it down to your utility company maybe if, they, if you feel like they need it. Or local library. <laughs> or local library as well, absolutely. Um, and we, we talked a lot about some of the things that were in the book and, and what the culture of these utility companies needs to be. And I looked at the table of contents, Sam. I have not read the book yet, but I did look at the table of contents, and I understand what exactly your goal is. And I think it's, it looks like the table of contents is very thorough. And you could almost apply some of these same things to many different types of businesses because it's very thorough. But I wanted to follow up on that question that I asked you prior to the break about, you know, Katrina, it just seemed like, and it may have been, because I know that part of the preparedness for the utility companies is the the public relations piece of it, because they could take a beating if they're they don't not out there actively talking about what they're doing. But what would you say that some of the key differences are between the way they used to do it and maybe the way they do it now? Well, I, I would say, <clears throat> well, first of all, uh, I've, I've worked with utilities in the South uh, as well as the North. So, mm-hmm. and actually uh, in the in the Midwest and West. So, You're uh, I know what the differences are in, in some of the uh, problems they have. Right. Um, in your area, down where you are, I work with T- Tennessee Valley Public Power Association and TVPPA. Okay. Uh, and um, a great organization that um, uh, that does services for utilities in that area, which are primarily. Uh, co-ops and municipals and uh, public power uh, companies. And uh, they have uh, a tremendous amount of respect for uh, uh, people around them serving those people and trying to do the best they possibly can with, this, uh, in some cases, very limited number of resources that they have in co-ops and public power. So uh, there are, you know, some of the bigger uh, utilities across the country, like Connecticut Light and Power, Pepco, and so forth, uh, have uh, uh, many more resources uh, to bear. Uh, so uh, I think public power deserves a lot of credit in, in, uh, in getting their systems back as quickly as they do and working together down there in the Tennessee Valley to, to try and assist each other uh, when you guys do have storms down there. I think in general they do a great job. That's at it. Yeah, they uh, do. It's remarkable how quick they get things back. Well, you know, one of the one of the plans that I wrote for TVPPA uh, was a sort of a universal blueprint plan that uh, uh, any of the utilities down there could pick up and run with, and and uh, basically copy and paste or whatever they needed to do uh, to get their you know their plan uh, sort of standardized with the rest of the, the valley. And although you'll never have um, two utilities with exactly the same methodology in their planning strategy and so forth. Uh, my goal in, in all of this was to try and standardize uh, some of the planning so that uh, if two utilities are talking, they're several states away. They know some of the same nomenclature. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the same uh, problems exist in each of the utilities uh, so they can each have an understanding of the priorities and so forth going forward. And bringing in outside crews and uh, crews from other states uh, that may have a different culture, uh, different uh, uh, a way of restoring power and so forth. And so really uh, my goal is one of my major goals in, in this book and, and elsewhere, whatever I do, is to try and uh, bring standards into uh, the picture uh, and methods that have worked for many, many years uh, for some utilities and share that with other utilities that maybe need help in a specific area. Now, you talk about two different types of, uh, of storms uh, between the uh, Superstorm Sandy and Katrina and so forth. Um, I can tell you that uh, both, uh, obviously both of them um, did a tremendous amount of damage uh, to the electric infrastructure. So they were very similar uh, in that regard. Um, however, the, you know, the statistics are different. Uh, the number of customers out of service and so forth are different. Uh, uh, although, uh, you know, in, in some cases they were uh, uh, we're talking about uh, apples and oranges because uh, obviously the, the mid-Atlantic states and, and north northeast uh, is where your population centers are. So you're going to have a lot of uh, uh, an awful lot more customers, dense population in specific areas that need to be restored. And so uh, you know it's it's affecting uh, more concentration of of people in specific areas. So. Uh, 
the utilities uh, really everywhere need to have a uh, an excellent game plan. I th- and I think in general they do. There are uh, things that slip through the cracks. You and I were talking uh, on break uh, concerning the number of outages and so forth that are experienced, and the fact that uh, uh, you know they keep publishing this information on uh, thousands of thousands of customers out of service after so many days, but. We have to understand that uh, some of those houses, uh, a good portion of those houses, especially in coastal communities, were not able to accept power, regardless of whether or not the power was there. Uh, and it wasn't there. It was pushed back. The outage basically pushed the power back into uh, into the uh, more um, uh, non-coastal areas, uh, we'll say, uh, because uh, the power is disconnected to the coastal areas almost immediately when they when – they, uh, uh, a line is uh, is down on the street, uh, so um, we we have to remember that you know a electric system is basically like a tree. Uh, the trunk of the tree is your main power lines, your transmission lines, uh, feeding um, uh, uh, larger branches, uh, which are heavier loads, uh, and, and such as uh, larger cities and so forth. And then you have the smaller, tinier branches which reach out into the neighborhoods. And, and feed the uh, individual neighborhood customers and so forth. So um, uh, it, it doesn't make much sense, uh, uh, you know, to, to concentrate all of your resources in the, in, the, uh, in the individual smaller branches of the um, restoration as, when you have the trunk of the tree almost ready to fall. So um, what they'll do is utilities will go out and they'll patrol at the same time as their um, – Distribution circuits, though, in your neighborhoods, uh, they'll they'll also um, uh, perform a survey on their transmission infrastructure, uh, the big lines to get the power into the uh, into the area. So uh, you'll see them working. In some cases, you won't see them initially because there are a lot of things at play, and one of the things at play is that your your roads are blocked, um, and it's difficult for damage survey teams to get out into the neighborhoods. Uh, immediately after a storm. Hey, Sam, uh, this is Mark again. I, I wanted to kind of switch gears just a little bit and ask you, because in your book I, I, I read a, a, that you evaluate security and uh, you mentioned uh, diminished security and how it would affect the levels of service, people, the infrastructure, those types of things. Can you define what you mean by security and, and what type of, of security you're referring to? We mentioned Katrina and, and Sandy. Are you talking about any other type of security issues? Well, really, you know, there, there are a lot of different types of security. We know that uh, technology has security associated with it. We know that uh, physical infrastructure such as buildings and so forth has security. Uh, people have a sense of security or not a sense of security. Uh, when we have uh, extended outages and uh, damage to properties and so forth, uh, you can see the, the hopelessness, uh, hopeless look in people's faces when they're on camera being interviewed following major storms, knowing that um, a lot of their own security uh, is in jeopardy right now because uh, in some cases they can't, they can't close up their house uh, because it's been damaged. Um, you know, they, they don't have any electric to start affecting repairs to their house. Uh, they don't have any electric for heat or, uh, or air conditioning in the case of summer storms. Uh, but in general, they're, they feel insecure, and rightfully so. And we all do when, we've, when we lose power and water and, in some cases, gas, uh, natural gas. So uh, these things are lifeline services that, that are provided by the utilities, and when we lose them, we lose a sense of security. So, I mean, the book mentions different types of security, uh, but really, uh, to keep the story short, I would say that, uh, you know, the, the security of people that are being served by the Lifeline organizations, such as utilities, uh, really is what I'm talking about there. Let me ask you this, too, because we had the gentleman I spoke of a couple of months ago, and there was a talk about how, you, you know, that they partner with other organizations to come up with a plan during an emergency. But utility companies were not really mentioned in that, except for in the context, if you don't have power, you know, here's where you can go for the shelter. And I'm talking about the Knox County emergency preparedness guy who came on a couple of months ago. Alan Larson. Al, Alan Larson. So what type of communication and planning should be taking place between them and really how should they partner? Because I think it would be great if they would. Um, and it just makes sense that they would. 
Well, in a lot of parts of the country, they have partnered. Um, uh, for example, in Connecticut, uh, there is a very close uh, relationship between the utility and the uh, individual city and town governments. Uh, that has improved greatly over the last couple of years since uh, Connecticut went through a series of major storms um, back in 2011, uh, 2012, uh, that really put them on their uh, on their keister. <laughs> so uh, they started. Uh, they they had a number of meetings with their government agencies and came up with uh, a strict plan for communications. And this is happening all over. Uh, I think you're you're going to see. Uh, you may not see it right away in, in all areas, but uh, you're going to see a very very uh, much improved relationship between emergency management in the cities and counties. Uh, with the utilities because um, of the close relationship or the close coordination that has to happen between the utilities and the, and the for example, the road clearing crews that may come from towns. Uh, in order for utility trucks and, and uh, survey, damaged survey vehicles and so forth to get down the streets, there has to be, um, you know, the crews, uh, the county line uh, crews and so forth have to get out there and, uh, and start to get some of the roads cleared. Uh, traditionally, uh, you know, this has been a delicate subject and difficult subject because, uh, you know, uh, they had felt that utilities, uh, they, they, the county had felt utilities were uh, self-sufficient in a lot of ways and could, uh, could move some of the stuff out of the street themselves and things uh, like that. And, and that, that is not the case. Um, well, yeah. I mean, that's a big undertaking, especially if you have a hurricane or, you know, uh, a huge catastrophe. No, the county is traditionally, uh, they would have the types of road clearing equipment that would help push the poles, uh, wires, conductors, uh, insulators, transformers, all those things over to the side of the road uh, and trees. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll talk about trees as much as you want because uh, trees are really a primary cause of, of uh-huh. outages. Uh, for so, so should we take down all the trees? No, I'm just kidding. So. <laughs> well, you know, uh, and, and we don't want to get rid of all of our trees. Yeah, but well, what we've got to do is we got to start thinking a little bit more uh, towards the, the way we feel about storms and being without power. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and let's tackle some of that in the third segment because we're going to be coming up on a break here in just a second. And we'd also like to talk about the power grid yeah. as well and maybe jump in just a moment on that. So we are continuing our series here with Sam Mullen. He is an expert in utility operations, planning, and management, and uh, really an extraordinary uh, show that we're having here today. Very interesting stuff, I have to tell you. Um, He has a book on Amazon. You can go check it out, Help with Preparedness and Emergency Planning. And we will be right back after these messages right here on the Housing Hour. Hey, I'm Kevin Ray, host of the Housing Hour. Please join me and my co-host Mark Griffith every Saturday from 8 to 9 as we bring you the latest news from the housing market. And be sure to check out our website, thehousinghour.com, for great resources on housing-related issues and links to our archive shows. So join me, Kevin Ray, and Mark Griffith each week as we tackle issues of home ownership. The Housing Hour is a locally produced show presented by Mortgage Investors Group. The Housing Hour, Saturdays from 8 to 9, right here on WOKI. 60, 90 days, that's a little bit too long. This is Halloran for Mortgage Investors Group. They're great. They started in 1989. It was seven people, and they said, you know what? If we're going to build something that will grow, that will have a good, solid foundation, it's got to be the right thing. you got to do the right thing. You've got to have the right people. you got to have the right product, right price. got to do it the right way. That was the foundation. Now it's 2012. They've served over 60,000 customers, $9 billion worth of American dreams processed. They're pretty incredible. Now here's one of the things they've noticed in the industry. It's taking 60 to 90 days to close a loan. Shouldn't do that. They can get it done for you in 30 days or less. Their website is easy to remember. It's just migonline.com, migonline.com. You can go there this morning. Equal housing lender. Mortgage license number 109111. 
Hi, I'm Sue Benson, owner of Title Associates. In today's real estate market, it is more important than ever to have a title company with experience, a company you can trust, and one that conducts business with you in mind. If you're buying, selling, or refinancing, our staff promises to make your closing a pleasant one. If you're a real estate agent looking for excellent customer service, give us a call, 777-1040, or visit our website at tanox.com. Honey, where did you get this money? Oh, I got it from the Goldmine Precious Metals Exchange. I referred mom to him to sell her jewelry and coins, and he sent me a referral fee of $275. Isn't that terrific? That's the Goldmine Precious Metals Exchange. They're located at 1027 Summerwood Road, just a quarter mile east of Cedar Bluff, 804-3465. That's 804-3465 or gmpmex.com. Wow, I'm going to sell my gold jewelry to the gold mine and get that offer as well. Wait, take my referral card, then I can get another referral fee check from the Goldmine Precious Metals Exchange. 1027 Summerwood Road, a quarter mile east of Cedar Bluff, 804-3465. That's 804-3465 or gmpmex.com. A referral from Goldmine Precious Metals Exchange? It sounds like a great deal to me. I'm headed there now. Spring is just around the corner. Temperature begins to warm. Plants start to bloom. And truthfully, what's more fun than planting a garden with your family and letting your kids pick out the flowers? Mortgage Investors Group wants to help you make these precious memories come true for you. Whether it's a purchase or a refinance, we have the loan to fit your needs. So call us today, 800-489-8910, or visit us online at mortgageinvestorsgroup.com. Mortgage Investors Group, your home loan solution for the past 23 years. Tennessee Mortgage License Number 1091. Are you in the market to purchase a new home? Many first-time homebuyers and veterans qualify for 2 or 4% down payment grants from the Tennessee Housing Development Agency. THDA offers 30-year fixed-rate mortgages insured by FHA, VA, USDA, or conventional loans. For more information, please visit our website at www.thda.org. For today, look for mostly cloudy skies across East Tennessee with some rain showers, especially in the morning, highs around 54 degrees. From the VLT Local Aid Weather Center, I'm Chief Meteorologist David Aldrich. It's the guy that makes you think in the morning. Is there anything in the Bible you would quit your job over? Would you quit over 666, Chris? Like if somebody gave you a paycheck and it was $666? No. If they gave me a check and it was $666 million. Halloran Hilton Hill on News Talk 98.7. You quit over that, wait. W-O-K-I. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Every day I'm shuffling. Oh, yeah. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. And we are so excited to have you back in here with us. And don't forget that you can send this to uh, any of your friends and family within an hour. Our producer, our our very special and smart and awesome producer, is going to have that right up for you on our website. And so check it out. Make sure you go. You can link that to your Facebook page. You can send it to your congressman and tell them, hey, this is what you guys should be doing. You can do whatever you need to do with it because it's going to be right there available. And give us feedback as well. You can post it on our Facebook page. We'd love to get your feedback and let us know of anything that you'd like to ask or in those type of things. Um, and then obviously also you can listen to our past shows. You can go back and um, what was the gentleman's name? Michael Larson? Alan. Alan, Alan Larson. Larson. If you just search for that, right? Yeah, that's on, under our uh, oh, yeah, Protect right. Your Family under, series. Under the Protect Your Family series, which is right there for your uh, taking, right when you go on to the housing hour. you can. That would be a good show to listen to first and then listen to this show again and kind of get both pieces of the puzzle. it give you just two different kind of looking like at a diamond. You get to, you turn it and spin it, and you see all kinds of different things maybe that you didn't see on the first time. So I would recommend doing that. Um, and we're back in here, and I do want to tell you about a company really quickly that we uh, both believe very strongly in, and I know Mark's group uses them. I know Chris White at Parkside and Gary and JT and Tandy and all of our folks right around this area definitely use Admiral's Heidel. Um, and it's a great company. And what they do is they help you to get to the tr- through the transaction, through the closing, get you signed and sealed and delivered and ha- answer any question as it relates to your title of your home. And they are there kind of as liaisons to us and helping you get that legal piece of it completed. Very 
competent folks. And I tell you, when Terry and Phyllis started about eight years ago, Phyllis had been with us for 20-something years or almost 20 years and just knew the business inside and out. And so she took that information and that knowledge, and we hated to see her go, but she started something extraordinary. And they do a great job, and they go out of their way to make sure that their clients, their realtor clients, their lender clients, and their clients, their borrowers, are all well taken care of. It's it's really an amazing thing. And and they adopted a lot of the principles that we have at MIG, which is to take care of your client, do everything you can for your client, do the right thing, all those things that they do. So give them a call. Give them an opportunity. If you're a realtor or a lender and are trying to develop a relationship with a trusted advisor in that business, um, you can call Phyllis and her team at 865-531-6060. Admiral Title. So we're back in. And Sam... Um, I had a question that I'd like to ask, and, and it may have to do with the technology. It may not, but it's just something I think about all the time when I'm sitting eating or if I'm looking out the window. But, you know, back in the day, they used to build the um, the, uh, the the power, the, the utility, you know, the, the, the that come out of the ground. And, you know, it's like this huge, massive thing with these wires up in the air. Is is there any way or are, are new communities building those underground or am I way off base? Is that even possible? Uh, <clears throat> underground, uh, what they call in the utilities industry is undergrounding uh, conductors, mm-hmm. uh, basically, which is to uh, put the service, the transformers uh, on pads uh, on the ground at ground level. Uh, you've gone by developments where you've seen uh, boxes on the uh, near the homes. That right. Were, most of them are painted green. Right. Well, in Orlando, there's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the, the cost of undergrounding, putting mm. all utilities underground is enormous. Oh, okay. It's 10 to 100 times the cost of putting poles in, and uh, conductors <laughs> wow. on, you know, down the street. So there's a tremendous cost associated with putting lines underground. And it doesn't guarantee... Uh, Every time for every type of storm, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to stay in service because part of the feeder, uh, part of the line that's coming from the substation uh, to your underground service area uh, is, is overhead. Yeah. So um, right. you, you don't necessarily see it come underground all the way from the substation all the way you know, into a housing development. There is some overhead exposure. Plus, you also have the exposure of the substation, uh, which is out in the elements, and it's fed by the transmission system. And transmission system goes down uh, during major storms. Thunders, a lot of thunderstorms, uh, uh, thunderstorms have a great effect on the transmission system also. Uh, so what you need to have uh, in order to stay in service is all the switches need to be closed, uh, all of the lines, conductors, so forth, all, all of them have to be uh, uh, in you know, intact uh, for you to get your power. So undergrounding, um, uh, putting lines underground, uh, uh, what it does is it reduces the exposure uh, uh, to the conduct- conductors to high winds and so forth uh, that may cause outages uh, that you might normally have if you're fed overhead. Uh, using poles and conductors. Hey, Sam, what about technology? Uh, because everybody talks about um, the different smart technologies. We had a professor on from University of Tennessee, Dr. Simpson. He talked about smart technologies and the smart grid. What do these uh, systems look like to you? How effective would they be versus what we have in place now? Well, what we've had up to now in, in most cases is uh, is very manual in nature. Uh, it required meter readers uh, to go to house, read the meters every month, and uh, and so forth. It, it, it really gave us it gave the utilities no information uh, whatsoever, other than just be able to bill the customer. So, with smart technologies, the application of electronics and programming uh, to the uh, to uh, conventional systems such as metering and so forth. Now, what, what do we get? We get some major gains when we have smart uh, systems uh, in that um, we can read the customer uh, load information, what, how, what they're using at any given point in time. If they go out of service, we'll know it immediately. We don't have to wait for them to call us to tell us, uh, tell, tell us we're out of ser- uh, you know, they're out of service, uh, which traditionally utilities had to rely on. Uh, it was the customer actually calling in saying, I'm out of service. Uh, today, with a smart grid system and, and smart metering and so forth, uh, they know that right away. 
They know which sections are of the community are out of service uh, because they link them to geographic information systems uh, that uh, are linked to another database, uh, which is the uh, geographical database of what uh, materials, equipment, and so forth are out in specific areas of the of the uh, of the uh, uh, service area of the utility. So, so does that beg the question, I guess, that the aging power grids that are out there, does that play a role in how quickly people are restored? Well, when you talk about the aging power grid, you're primarily talking about the infrastructure that is used to transmit power across the, uh, you know, across the state, across the county, into the towns and so forth. Uh, and you could also be talking about the aging infrastructure in some cases and distribution systems where poles are getting old, um, they snap off easily in high winds, uh, those kinds of things. That What you're talking about when you talk about aging infrastructure is not dr- directly related uh, to any degree in the smart systems that we're talking about. Okay. What it is, it's, it's the fact that many of the system, the transmission lines and so forth, uh, have been out there for so many years that um, they've gone through so much stress and strain from the weather and, and uh, everything out there that there's much more of a tendency then to, for them to be weak and to fall when you have a major ice storm, for example, and uh, and you folks had one in the Tennessee Valley back in, I believe it was 93. Uh, Another one in May of whatever it was. A- April 27th. Yeah. Was here. Yeah, so you always had a possibility down there. And uh, so without a, and you, you folks also uh, have a very strong transmission system down there with TVA. Mm. Uh, they, they, they're equipment is uh, on par with some of the best in the country I've seen, and uh, it's strong, but nothing can hold up under accumulated ice, uh, and they had a lot of metal towers down there that uh, buckled and, and fell when they had three inches of radio ice around the conductors, which is a tremendous amount of weight, um, So, and, and certainly out of design. It's not, it's not how they're designed, so, uh, you know, and then it takes them a while to get those back up. Uh, in order to get the substations energized again and then out to the communities, uh, the service. So. Now, are there are a lot of, I mean, because we have a lot of grids that are aging. I mean, you hear it all the time. Um, do you think that that is, as, is related, I guess, to an important part of the smart grid initiatives that a lot of utilities are undertaking? Do you think that the, that is, I mean, that's obviously something that they're trying to do to, to increase the, you know, the overall uh, age of the smart grid across the country? Well, they're, what they're trying to do now is get better information in from the field, uh, where they had no traditional information in the past. Uh, they, they're, get, they're getting a lot more information in with the use of smart technology. Uh, as far as the, uh, uh, the infrastructure goes and actually uh, transmitting power and so forth and distributing it, uh, that really hasn't changed uh, since the beginning, the genesis of, of really uh, almost the beginning of the utility industry. Uh, you see poles out there that have been in place, uh, weathering the, you know, the weather for 40, 50 years. And uh, those poles are still there. And uh, so occasionally, you know, you get a windstorm, something with high winds. You could see a, a dozen or more poles laying on the ground, uh, all break at one time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you also see uh, in winter storms, uh, if you do, you don't get as much snow as we get up here, but uh, you do get uh, you I know, wish the we bagging did. of the conductors with accumulated ice and so forth, and uh, and couple that with high winds, and you got a recipe for poles down in the street. Sam, and, Sam, let me ask you, what's going to have to happen in order for a smart grid system to get going in, in our country? Is it necessary to have this? Heard a lot of talk about it. The University of Tennessee is doing major studies on it now, and uh, there's talk about it. So what's your opinion of that? Well, smart grid is, is, is going to eventually be here. Uh, it's a question of investment and how fast the utility can get it in place. Um, the, uh, the cost of, of implementing these smart, this smart technology and, and then the back end of it is, is data uh, and how you uh, accumulate that data and how it's, uh, it, it goes to further uh, assist the utility in, in their planning uh, is going to take years. And some... Uh, customers, uh, uh, consumers of electric power uh, are against it. They feel like it's Big Brother being able to watch them and and so forth. But really the intent of it is to have better control over the load that uh, the utility is serving. Um, So the consumer really has a choice. They have a choice of being served by the utility 
or implementing uh, green uh, power uh, on their own property if they have enough property to do so, or in a communal basis with uh, um, a microgrid, for example, which uh, may cover a small town. Uh, so, you know, those options have been there for many years, but the technology now is at a point where a lot of the, the towns and so forth are starting to look at this kind of thing. Well, and it ultimately would help the consumer at the end of the day because anything you can do to help the utility companies save money is going to be better for us at the end of the day. Well, I like to think it's a balancing act uh, because uh, if the utility doesn't have make have to make a lot of new investment, uh, it's 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 really, it, it saves the consumer consumer from being having to pay higher bills and so forth, but it also um, keeps the staff and, and the, the resource requirements for utilities down, which I think is a good thing. Uh, it doesn't allow much growth, but today energy is usually um, delivered through a, uh, you know, just through a, uh, the resident uh, utility that's that's has the lines and, and conductors and transformers and so forth. The infrastructure in place uh, is used to distribute the energy. The electrical energy. Mm. Uh, many many customers now have the option of going with a third party energy supplier. Uh, so uh, you could be getting your power from some company in Florida, or uh, you know, but it has to go through the transmission system and through the distribution system, uh, you know, to get to you. So it's not really a it's not really an actual thing. What it is 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 more of an accounting function. Right. Uh, well, have we began to outsource that to India yet? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Problem getting the power across the ocean right now, but yeah. uh, uh, you know it's 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 one of those things that uh, uh, consumers, some consumers, I think, uh, are going to see a benefit to uh, all of this smart infrastructure coming in. I, I think it's uh, it, it could be useful for all all consumers that uh, have it structured so that it's beneficial to them and beneficial to the utility. Yeah, and I tell you what, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming in and giving us this information. And I know this for a fact, that you are going to be instrumental in the next 10 years of these utilities and what they're going to do with this smart grid and all the other things that encompass this. So, Sam, we've ran out of time for today, but we're going to have you back, hopefully. But thank you for joining us today on the Housing Hour. Well, it's certainly my pleasure. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, I hope that uh, you get some uh, good feedback from the uh, people that listen to you and and, uh, and some interest. Absolutely. Well, we have Sam Mullen here today, and uh, we're going to be back next week, too. Go to thehousinghour.com if you'd like to listen to this show. It'll be back in probably about an hour. We'll have it in. Thank you guys for coming in today. Thank you to Mortgage Investors Group, our sponsor, and Mark, our co-host and executive producer. We'll see you next time right here on The Housing Hour. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and the why not. You need to know, so come here to find out. This program is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. You've been listening to paid programming, which does not reflect the views or opinions of News Talk 98.7, the news and talk of East Tennessee, WOKI. Spring is just around the corner. Temperature begins to warm. Plants start to bloom. And truthfully, what's more fun than planting a garden with your family and letting your kids pick out the flowers? Mortgage Investors Group wants to help you make these precious memories come true for you. Whether it's a purchase or a refinance, we have the loan to fit your needs. So call us today, 800-489-8910, or visit us online at mortgageinvestorsgroup.com. Mortgage Investors Group, your home loan solution for the past 23 years. Tennessee Mortgage License Number 1091. Are you having a hard time finding that perfect stool for your kitchen or bar? Then you haven't been to Games and Things. Hi, I'm Scott Mellon from Games and Things, and I invite you to our annual Bar Stool Blowout Sale. For a limited time, all in-stock and special order stools are on sale from 20 to 50% off, starting as low as $59. We have the largest selection of kitchen and bar stools in East Tennessee with over 100 styles on display. Whether it's wood or metal, arms or armless, swivel or stationary, fabric or leather, Games and Things has got you covered. Have a bar or counter with an unusual height? We can customize a stool that will fit your needs. Be sure to take advantage of our loaner program, where you can check out a stool and take it home to make sure you have the right fit for your decor and style. Don't miss Games and Things annual Bar Stool Blowout Sale going on now. Located at the corner of Lovell Road and Kingston Pike. Like us on Facebook and check out our brand new website at OurGameRoom.com. Because life should be fun, fun, fun. Monday on the Phil Show. 
It's Holy Week. <laughs> yeah, we always have that, you know, just a couple of weeks before Sex Week. Also, your chance to win. We start at 3 o'clock on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.